Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. Today's episode is from our Mysteries series, and it involves one of the 10 most witnessed UFO sightings in the recent past, commonly known as the Phoenix Lights. On Thursday, March 13, 1997, at approximately 8.17 Mountain Standard Time, callers from the Prescott Valley area west of Phoenix, Arizona, began reporting seeing a large flying V-shaped object that was definitely solid because it blocked out much of the starry sky as it passed overhead. John Kaiser was standing outside his house with his wife and sons in Prescott Valley when they noticed a cluster of lights to the west-northwest of their current position. The lights formed a triangular pattern, but all of them appeared to be red, except the light at the nose of the object, which was distinctly white. The object, or objects, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, then passed directly overhead the observers, and they were seen to bank to the right, and then they disappeared in the night sky to the southeast of Prescott Valley. The altitude could not be determined. However, it was fairly low and made no sound whatsoever. The first people in Phoenix to get a good look at the huge, slowly moving object were Tim Lay and his family when the V-shaped craft slowly passed over their heads as they stood in their front yard on Thursday, March 13, 1997, at approximately 8.17 Mountain Standard Time. They first saw the lights of the craft, which were probably part of its propulsion system, far to their west above Prescott Valley, about 65 miles away from them. The lights appeared to be moving towards them. Over the next 10 or so minutes, they appeared to be coming closer, and the distance between the lights increased, and they took on the shape of an inverted V. Eventually, when the lights appeared to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that looked like a 60-degree carpenter square with the five lights set into it, with one at the front and two on each side. Soon, the object with the embedded lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived at about 100 to 150 feet above them. Traveling so slowly, it appeared to hover and was silent. The object then seemed to pass over their heads and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squaw Peak Mountain and toward the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Witnesses in Glendale, a suburb northwest of Phoenix, saw the object pass overhead at an altitude high enough to become obscured by the thin clouds. This was at approximately between 8.30 and 8.45 Mountain Standard Time. The following is an excerpt from the local TV station report on the UFO and interview with the Lay family. The latest chapter into a strange valley encounter. Three months ago tonight, something strange happened in the skies over Arizona that still hasn't been fully explained. And in reality, we may never know exactly what happened that night. Tonight, first on Fox, we hear from a Phoenix family who may have been closer to whatever it was in the sky, closer than anyone else. It's getting closer and closer. It was saying... You know, that thing's coming right at us. Tim Lee and his family are among the hundreds of witnesses who've come forward to talk about the night of March 13th, an event now known as the Phoenix Lights. The Lees first saw the lights while looking north from their home in the Sunny Slope Mountains. When it finally got here and we realized this thing was coming right over us, we really started getting antsy. And then when it went directly overhead without a sound, it was like, it was like that. It was so big. You couldn't even hear the wind. It was so quiet. It was just, 
It just didn't even do anything. It just came through. These images of what they saw are made on a computer. They're a combination of digital photos of the landscape taken by Lee and computer drawings of the objects his family saw in the sky. It was a giant V, all right? And the right side of the V went over us. The left side was like a couple blocks over it. You just didn't know what to do. You know, it was just like... My God, how big is this thing? It didn't seem threatening, but because when, when it was right overhead and we couldn't hear a sound, it was like you're just awestruck. Jim Delatoso has been researching UFOs for 20 years. Right now, he's in the middle of putting together a virtual reality model of what happened that night. He's talked to hundreds of witnesses about the night of March 13th, including the Lees. He thinks that he said if he had a tennis ball, he could have hit it. He could have thrown a tennis ball at it. It was that close. It was very close. He just could have nailed it. I consider Tim Lee and his family to be very reliable and very important in the data that they've given us because they were so close that they could look up and, as they said, almost touch it. The last light went right over my wife and I, and there was no light on the ground. But I could see up inside that it was almost like a recess and it had fluorescent like light inside, like a gas light of some kind. You could see right through the middle of it, but it was like looking through two-way glass, like through a mirage that you see on the highway or something, or just when it's real hot. Right there, there you can see through, but there's no light coming back or anything like that. It was just really weird. This is the first time in the series of reports of that night that someone said that they looked up and saw a structured object. As it went over, it went straight like, like through this V right there, over that guy's house. It took about 15 minutes to get from, way from, from when we first saw it all the way till we couldn't saw it. No one knows for sure what happened that night in the skies over Arizona in March, but thousands of people saw something. It's a night the Lees will never forget. We just re-experience it every time we tell it. You know, it, it's like, it's, it was just yesterday, you know. Um, we just never seen anything like it. I was always a, a very polite skeptic. I would never tell something. If they told me they saw something, I would never say, you're a liar or anything like that, because I don't know. But now I don't know what to think, because um, this is impossible. Bring up the eerie music, please. This is weird stuff. Jim Delatoso, the UFO expert in that story, says the Phoenix Lights event in March is being talked about now all over the world, and he says he wouldn't be surprised if in the future the curious will flock to Arizona looking for something. I have always considered the Phoenix Lights to be a misleading term for what many people described as a flying V-shaped craft large enough to cover a couple of neighborhood blocks from wingtip to wingtip and capable of silent, slow flight. You can see the drawing of the UFO made by the first witnesses in Phoenix, Arizona at our Facebook site at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. Those wing lights, according to varying witnesses, were seen as being either red or white. Possibly they were red when the propulsion system, however that was set up, emitted intense heat. What makes this UFO sighting unique is that thousands of witnesses claim to have observed a huge V-shaped several football field-sized, coherently moving, dark UFO. Stars would disappear behind the object and reappear as it passed by, producing no sound and containing five spherical lights or possibly light-emitting engines. Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona at the time, was one witness to this incident. 
As governor, he ridiculed the idea of alien origin, but several years later, he called the lights he saw otherworldly after admitting he saw a similar UFO. More on Governor Symington to come. Here's where the story gets even more interesting. There were allegedly two distinct events evolved in the incident. A triangular formation of lights seen to pass over the state between 8 and 9.30 p.m. And wouldn't you know, a couple hours after the thousands of UFO sightings, the United States Air Force at the Barry Goldwater Range in southwest Arizona sent up a few A-10 Warthog aircraft to drop some balloon-supported flares for training exercises. Now, why would they do that? Makes you think, doesn't it? Here's one suggestion. If thousands of people had seen a huge aircraft unlike any known thing we have, radar must have seen it as well. And maybe to prevent mass hysteria and panic, the Air Force needed a diversion. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Holy crap, that thing is as big as a city. Run, take cover, get the dog. No, wait, I'll get the dog. You get the kids. Hold it. It's just a couple of harmless little planes dropping balloon flares. How could we have been so stupid? What's for dinner? Slow-moving A-10 warthogs with hover capability dropping balloon-supported lights would have been just the right answer. That's what it was, folks. You can all go back inside your homes now. Nothing to see. The heavenly weaponized A-10 warthog wasn't a bad choice to put up in the air from a defensive standpoint. For starters, the A-10 took out 900 Iraqi tanks during the Gulf War, decimating what was then the fifth largest mechanized army in the world. It is 53.4 feet long, about as long as a school bus, and its primary built-in weapon is the GE-built 30mm GAU-8A Avenger Gatling-type cannon. One of the most powerful aircraft cannon ever known, it fires large, depleted uranium armor-piercing shells. In the original design, the pilot could switch between two rates of fire, 2,100 or 4,200 rounds per minute. The cannon takes about a half a second to come up to speed, so 50 rounds are fired during the first second, 60 or 70 rounds per second thereafter. And the A-10 can take a punch. Armor plates of differing thicknesses between the aircraft skin and the drum are designed to detonate incoming shells. The final armor layer around the drum protects it from fragmentation damage. The AGM-65 Maverick air-to-surface missile is a commonly used munition targeted via electro-optical, TV-guided, or infrared. The Maverick allows target engagement at much greater ranges than the cannon and thus less risk from anti-aircraft systems. Other weapons on that plane include cluster bombs and hydro rocket pods. The A-10 is equipped to carry laser-guided bombs. A-10s usually fly with the ALQ-131 ECM pod under one wing and two sidewinder air-to-air missiles under the other wing for self-defense. But for this night, over Phoenix, those A-10s were just out there after 10 p.m. dropping flares for we can only guess what reason. But two hours before the warthogs took to the sky, thousands of witnesses observed a large craft coming in over the mountains toward Phoenix, producing no sound other than a rushing of wind and containing five spherical lights or possibly light-emitting engines. Thousands of witnesses throughout Arizona also reported a silent, mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped craft with varying numbers of huge orbs. A significant number of witnesses reported that the craft was silently gliding directly overhead at low altitude. The first-hand witnesses consistently reported that the lights appeared as canisters of swimming light, while the underbelly of the craft was undulating like looking through water. And, of course, it was a great night for skeptics who didn't witness the event 
and they've been busy coming up with every possible story you can imagine to counter the UFO explanations that happened that night. There was minimal news coverage at the time of the incident. In Phoenix, a small number of local news outlets noted the event, but it received little attention beyond that. But on June 18, 1997, USA Today ran a front-page story that brought national attention to the case. This was followed by news coverage on the ABC and NBC television networks. The case quickly caught the popular imagination and has since become a staple of UFO-related documentary television, including specials produced by the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. Shortly after the UFO sighting, Arizona Governor Fife Symington III, who had witnessed the craft himself, held a press conference stating that they found who was responsible. He proceeded to make light of the situation by bringing his aide on stage dressed in an alien costume. This really angered the hundreds of people who had seen it. But in March 2007, Symington recanted, his political standing no longer a concern to himself, saying that he had witnessed one of the crafts of unknown origin during the 1997 event, although he did not go public with the information. In an interview with the Daily Courier in Prescott, Arizona, Symington finally said, I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it. Responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. Symington had earlier said it was enormous and inexplicable. Who knows where it came from? A lot of people saw it. I saw it too. It was dramatic. And it couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical. It had a geometric outline, a constant shape. Symington also noted that he requested information from the commander of Luke Air Force Base, the General of National Guard, and the head of the Arizona Department of Public Safety. But none of the officials he contacted had an answer for what had happened, and were also perplexed. Later, he responded to an Air Force explanation that the lights were flares. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitely say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object I've ever seen. And it was certainly not high-altitude flares, because flares don't fly in formation. In an episode of the television show UFO Hunters called The Arizona Lights, Symington said that he contacted the military asking what the lights were. The response was, no comment. He pointed out that he was the governor of Arizona at the time, not just some ordinary civilian. Frances Barwood, the 1997 Phoenix City Councilwoman who launched an investigation into the event, said that of the over 700 witnesses she interviewed, the government never interviewed even one. In recent days, you may have noticed a press release from NASA that made national news. They have announced that we are probably not alone in the universe, and by 2025, if you can wait that long, they might find a waterborne microbe out there. They, they, <laughs> sorry. They also made a point of telling us not to worry, fret, or panic about the possibility that anything bigger than a microbe might be found. Nothing like total transparency when it comes to our government. No wonder so many people don't trust anything Big Daddy tells us. Stay tuned after I wrap this up for a 15-minute YouTube presentation, which is an in-depth interview with the Lay family uh, some years later. And it, it's very revealing and goes into detail about what they witnessed uh, flying overhead their neighborhood. Thanks for listening to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you share us with others.
starting with giving us a like at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. Our website has all our episodes, and if you like UFOs, be sure to catch the Kecksburg PA UFO story. The website is at www.1001storiespodcast.com. We are also at iTunes Podcast and Stitcher, as well as the rest, and we are now listened to in over 150 countries. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our email is 1001storiespodcast at gmail.com. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and stay tuned for that detailed interview with the Lay family. Until next time. One of the most interesting cases of eyewitness testimony that came out of the Phoenix Lights was a family who had witnessed the Phoenix Lights on March 13, 1997. Mr. and Mrs. Lee and their son Hal, who was 10 at the time, all witnessed the boomerang-shaped object pass over their house in great detail. Along with several other witnesses in their neighborhood, they were, as far as I know, one of the few documented cases of an entire family witnessing one of these events. I thought it was very important to show the world that these events are not just happening to individuals who are involved with black government projects and other types of situations. These events happen to people from all walks of life, from all age groups, from all ethnic backgrounds, from all countries, from all classes, and from all religious beliefs. My name is Tim Lee. Uh, This is my wife, Bobby, and my son, Hal. Back in March 13th of 1997, uh, we were witnesses uh, to seeing a UFO, an actual craft, fly directly over a house. Just to give you a little uh, background as to how we got to see it, Hal and I had been uh, coming back from visiting some friends, and normally we tried to eat dinner by 8 o'clock. We were running a little late, pulled into the driveway, which uh, we were heading west. Hal was sitting in the front, and as I came around to the side of the door, he looked out the side window and he saw up in the direction of Prescott uh, five distinct lights that it actually looked like they were on top of a balloon. As we were looking at them, I said, well, what is that? Is that a balloon with lights on it? Why would they have lights on a balloon like that? And, you know, the lights were so clear and distinct, and they were very close together. But as we watched them, then we could see that whatever this was was coming towards us because the lights, the distance between the lights started getting greater and greater. At that point, he ran in the house and got my wife, Bobby, to come out and take a look and see what was going on. So when Bobby came out, we're standing there watching. My grandson, who's older than Hal, he was also there. And we watched these lights. I'd say the time it took from when we first spotted them until this thing actually went over a house was about 10 or 12 minutes. And this thing never wavered once. It always came directly straight at us. As we were standing there watching it, After a few minutes, uh, maybe six or eight minutes, I'm not sure, uh, all of a sudden, instead of being five lights in a round arc shape, uh, the the lead light seemed to come out in front, and now it looked like a V formation flying towards us. I remember talking with Bobby as we were watching it. We were saying, what what could that possibly be? And I, I said, well, maybe it's a formation of helicopters. And, you know, then I'm looking at the lights, and... As they're getting further and further apart, uh, the relationship between the lights never changed. They got further apart, but the individual distance between the lights always remained, so to speak, in the same relationship. They were perfectly even. They didn't move up or down. And I'm saying, wow, 
If this is a formation of aircraft, who's ever flying this, I don't know how they're staying so tight in formation. So as it got closer and closer and the lights were further and further apart, I began to think, well, maybe this is, you know, some kind of uh, object and that uh, it, it had to be pretty big. When it was about just a couple miles away, we're watching it, all of a sudden I caught the image of what it was. I could see its outline. It was almost the same exact color at the, of the sky, but because it was passing over stars, the stars were being blocked out and then come back after it passed. And it looked like a, an actual very geometric carpenter square, like an equilateral triangle without the bottom. And in each arm were two lights evenly spaced, and in the very tip was, was one single light. And these lights were perfectly round and perfectly white light. The tip of this thing was like as sharp as a tack, and the two tail ends were squared off perfectly. As it came closer and closer, we realized that it was coming straight at us. It was going to come right over us. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but it seemed to have dropped down in altitude. And now it was literally coming down the street. And the kids, as they saw it, they started jumping up and down because it was going very, very slow. And it looked like, hey, this thing is going to come over us and stop. And every jump they took, they were the, when they landed, they were one jump closer to running in the house. And I'm standing there, now I walked over in front of, right, right on the edge of the street, looking up at this thing go by, and I'm looking at the outer edge of this, of this wing, and I could see way, way down the block, six, five, six hundred feet away, I couldn't actually see the tail, I saw the third light. And it's going by the outer edge of this thing was so perfectly straight, dark, almost the same color as the sky, but you could see the stars, and then you couldn't see the stars. And as it's going by, it wasn't fluttering at all. It was so smooth, it almost looked like a computerized graphic. The kids out in the middle of the street said, hey, look up inside, in between the two arms. And looking at the stars inside, they looked like like some kind of distortion, not a heat distortion. It just did not look as clear as the stars on the outside. He's actually out in the street running after this thing. That's how slow it was going. The kids thought it was going about 10 or 15 miles an hour. And this last light came down, and Bobby and I were just standing there, and it went right over us, and it looked like this big circular hole of pure white light. It looked like flore beyond fluorescent, almost like little particles of light, and the light was stuck up inside. It was almost like it was being held inside. There was no glass on it, and there was no light that I noticed around us on the ground, but it was really, really, really bright. Then the tail end of this thing went by like that, and I saw very absolute sharp-edged went by, and as, this, as it did, the stars unfolded after it. We live up on about, probably about 1,200 feet above sea level. We're in a little valley above Phoenix, and surrounded by this valley are like little mountain peaks, and there's this one, two peaks, and in the middle of it, a little hill. This thing went right through the crack in the mountain. It flew right through there. It didn't go over the top. It just barely fit. It kind of was in such a way now, it was tilted. 
it was probably just going straight because now I could see the lights from the backside underneath. It went out straight over towards uh, the, the airport, right to the right side of Squaw Peak, and then I lost the lights in the whatever lights were flying around in the atmosphere disturbance or whatever. So when I saw this technology, I know there's nothing on this planet like that. There's no capacity to fly a craft. It wasn't even flying. How could something fly, be lifted by air, going that slow? Not possible. Not possible whatsoever. This thing was not flying. It was cruising with some kind of ability I don't know. It was absolutely perfect, under control, powerful, smooth, quiet. And I looked at that and I said, boy, I said to my wife, I said, whoever's got this technology is in cahoots with God. Hal, why don't you tell? Uh, We were freaking out because... We had, like in 1996 is when Independence Day came out, and I was 10 years old. So when you see Independence Day and then you see this like craft like coming over your house, you kind of you know get a little scared because it's like, is it going to stop? Are we going to be the people underneath going, oh no? We, like you got those chills in the back of your neck where you get all goosebumpy and you, your hair stand up on end. The point at which we started getting excited was after it had gone about halfway over, and basically we got the feeling that it was just going to keep going which was much of a relief, you know, that it wasn't going to stop. Because if it did, I don't know what we'd do, just go, uh, okay. That's when we were like, you know, oh, let's go after it, you know. So we just literally start running down the street. Dad, Dad, come on, get in the car, we chase it. And he was just like, no, no. And he was just looking, you know, looking at it, and we're like, oh. And my nephew, Damien, said that he probably could have thrown like a, like a tennis ball or a rock up and hit it. It was that close. At the time, there was this house that was being constructed up on the hill, and there was a telephone pole, and the craft flew, like, right over the top. There was no sound. Like, even in the, neighbor- the neighborhood was really quiet. Like, the only sound that there ever was was that there was a small, you know, just like a small propeller plane that flew over the top of it pretty high up. It lo- looked like this big in comparison. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was the only sound at any point. When Hal came to get me in the house and I was cooking dinner, he just told me that there were lights outside. And so I went running out the door looking at the lights over the mountain. I saw the lights then, you know, at that point, and I sat with them and watched them just exactly as Tim described. When it was coming up towards us, and it seemed like it was very high, and I could see it just as clear as a bell that it was shaped what I said at the time was like a carpenter square. It looked like a flying carpenter square. All of a sudden, you know, we, it seemed like I either looked away and I blinked and it was, you know, right upon us and then coming right down the street. And as, uh, as it left, and Tim and I were looking up into the light wells, I mean, these, these were circular light wells that were, we could not even estimate really how deep they were since we didn't know exactly how far away it was but the lights looked like they were at least 15 feet, you know, wide, and I don't know how deep, because all we could see was the white light inside the wells. And then as it proceeded over the mountain, just missing the tops, like Hal said, um, I looked at the, the lights in front of it, you might say, because I wanted to see if I could see the top of it. And as it was going through, I could see a slight mound to the point, you know, which would have been the front end of it. It just seemed like a very thin craft. When the right arm was coming over the house, we were looking at it, and I I was looking at the left arm, 
and it just went completely over towards the mountain. And that, I made a comment then. I said, oh, my God, how big is this thing? Because it just seemed to cover the whole entire neighborhood. You know what I said as it went over after seeing that little plane? I said, you could fit 10 stealths on one arm. I guesstimated that it was uh, each arm was about 700 feet, and if it was an equilateral uh, triangle in the sense, then the distance between the tails would have been about 700 feet. When we talk about this, people get picky and they say, well, you know, was it 200 feet? Was it 182 feet away? Uh, is it 12 feet wide? You know, et cetera. Listen, it was freaking huge. It was going really slow. It had these big lights in it. It, it didn't make a sound. That's the point. It was there. We saw it. There's no doubt in our minds whatsoever what we saw. My wife and I work. He goes to school. That's our lives. We're normal folks. We're nothing special. Um, well, you know, when it first happened, I think we were so aw awestruck by the whole event. <laughs> we didn't forget, but we didn't know what to do. You know, it was like... You know, I had already, by then I came back in, we all came back in, and we were talking about it, and then we all kind of got silent. And we were all sitting at the table, and this was, you know, Hal, Tim, and Damien, our grandson, who was then 14, and myself, and we, we didn't know what to even say to one another. You know, we were just kind of like sitting there. And, and we said, what do we do? You know, I mean, who do we call? You know, we didn't know what to do. And so we didn't call anybody. Because, well, you have that stigma, you know, it's like... <laughs> you, you trust, you know, your family, and, you know, if, if we say we saw something, you know, then we did. Sure, sure. And, you know, they're, they'll support us either way. There was this kid that lived just a few blocks from me, and uh, my stepson knew him. He brought the kid over to my house, and the kid did these drawings, and it was exactly what we saw. So I ended up going over to this kid's house... Uh, and meeting his father, and both of them described what we saw, but they saw it from like a couple blocks below. I personally, and I know they feel the same way, it doesn't matter to me whether you believe me or not. It doesn't. It only matters to you. Because we know what we saw. We know what we have. You need to see that. You need to understand that. That's it. So that's where our attitude is at. So, you know, 10 years, nothing happening, and all of a sudden, here we are talking about it, Fine, we'll talk about it, we'll tell you exactly what happened.